0: Happy Mother's Day! Huh? Well, that was Happy Mother's Day! Was, we need you mothers, we need you. Um as I was uh I had bent over the the toilet with gloves on my hand, searching through my son's most recent bowel movement looking for a penny he had swallowed seven days earlier. I thought to myself, boy, we need mothers. We need <laughs> we need moms. And uh, right now, right now, uh, our our mom and our household is is out of commission, and, and it is. We thank you, moms. <laughs> thank you. Uh, we appreciate what you do. Uh, we do, and we we want to honor you today. Um, things that, like my mom, my wife's not there, so things at our house are a little different right now. Uh, I've been really. I feel like I've been streamlining lining our house and how it functions. And, uh, I really feel like we've made some, some breakthroughs. One thing, uh, I no longer, whoever invented the, uh, broom and dustpan, waste of time, okay? I have sitting in our kitchen, the shop vac. A big ol' huge, six, whatever horsepower shop vac. And, uh, after meals, man, forget this time, of wasting time with, uh, the broom. You turn that bad boy on and you can suck up half the room and, like, half the time. All right, And there's just so many purposes and uses for it. You know. You can comb, you know, comb the kid's hair with the thing. And there's just that, uh, that serenity, or this chaos. You turn on the vacuum, you hear that. Wah! You know, it's so loud. I don't know what the decibel levels are, but it's so loud that all of a sudden the rest of the world just disappears and it's just a man in his vacuum. you know. The other thing I'm trying to get rid of is plates. I just feel like that's kind of a waste of time too. It just leads to dishes so we should just put it on the table and let them have it. we got dogs to clean that up, so i not quite there yet, though. But at least we have paper plates. But moms, we need you, uh, and, and we want to honor you today, and we'll do that later. Um, we have a really cool topic this morning, um, and I, I don't even know how to, to define exactly... <laughs> In, in, in a sentence, what we'll be looking at, we're going to be looking at, at the body of Christ and specifically the local church and, and even more specifically this church and what it needs to look like. Uh, if you hadn't noticed um, around looking at the propaganda we have up on the wall, we are not an army recruiting facility. We are actually uh, in the middle of a series uh, with the theme being soldiers of Christ, that we are at war. And uh, that has been our theme for the last um, three weeks. This is week four and we're going to continue on. And it has been, it's been awesome. It's been groundbreaking. And uh, Lord willing, uh, today's message will, will lead us further in that. Um, the war theme. When athletes, sometimes professional athletes will make the mistake of, of, while they're being interviewed, you know, after a game or something, they'll say something incredibly stupid like, Yeah, man, it was a war. Or, we were, at, we're going to war, you know, and they'll they 'll exaggerate um, what it is they 're actually doing what they 're competing on a game a child 's game they get lots of money for it, but they aren 't going to war there's nothing there 's nothing close to war that they 're doing on the field and, and oftentimes you 'll hear an athlete give that kind of interview and then he 'll get blasted in the media because people come on get some perspective you know let, let's uh, you know these guys are kind of spoiled and kind of out of their minds anyways. so when they make stupid statements like that, sometimes you just roll your eyes, whatever. You, know, you just don't get it. Well, I want to pause and I want us to ask the question, are, are we really at war? Is that an accurate um, example of, of where we are as a church here on earth? Is war an accurate description? Because you know, it just seems intense. You know, or, or are we kind of being like those athletes that, aren't putting it in the right perspective. Well, we need to review. I appreciate Matthew's first message when he talks about you're a soldier now. And this is directly from the Word of God. Let's read it together. Second Timothy 2, 3-4 says, "...Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier." The truth is, we are at war. God Himself is calling us a soldier through His Word. We are at war. Pretty intense stuff. Now, we've been talking about the three things that we're at war against. We've been talking about the world. And really, when we say the world, we want to clarify that. When we say we're at war against the world, you know, there's other people in the world. We're not at, we're not at war against your next-door neighbor, okay? This isn't us versus them, all right? And and boy, we're gonna just deny you know or destroy you because we're soldiers for Christ. You know that's not what this is about. When we say we're at war or against worldliness, the flesh, and the devil. Well, worldliness. When we say against the world, it's not our our neighbor, the people we're supposed to be loving. It's it's that ideology, those 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 thoughts, those things that are contrary to the Word of God. Those things that are not in alignment with what God's best is. And oftentimes we see those exhibited in those people that, that don't know God, don't we? But at the same time, we, I don't want us to get into the, the error of thinking that when we say we're at war, we are not at war against them, specifically those people. And luckily I get to talk about evangelism in a few weeks and we'll look at that more. But that's not what we say, and I don't want us to get confused. When we say we're at war, it's not like us versus them, like, aha we're going to bunker down, we're going to get to all you guys. You know, that's not what it's about. It is, uh, it is about we are at war against a very harmful and evil set of lies that is permeating into our world and, and even into our, our church. And that's what we talk about when we're at war. We are at war against them, those ideas. I'm sorry, not against them. And uh, that would be when we say the world. The flesh, we've talked about how we're at, we're at war against the, the very part of us that, that still remains contrary or, or in opposition to God, The flesh. We're at war against it. And then uh, we are at war against Satan. Now, I've never seen Satan face to face. But we better believe that that Satan is fighting real hard. We've already learned in, in the past few weeks that we have the victory. God has won the war. When He sent Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, when He said, it is finished, the war was won. It is over. There's a song though that says this about Satan. It says, um, The prince of this world has been beaten, but the loser still fights. And death is on a long leash stealing my friends into the night. Because Satan is active. He is not going on without a fight. And I don't know, he might be so deluded to think he has a chance to, to win, but he is, he is still fighting, and so we are at war against those three things. And we need to take it seriously. What does war look like? Well, the theme, the message today is entitled Band of Brothers. And so like any good uh, sermon giver, I went out and I did my research. So I borrowed Band of Brothers from Aaron Harlow. And I put in 14 solid hours of research for this message, folks. I mean, sleep was deprived. I said no to sleep because the message first, right? I ate unhealthily as I stayed up till 1 a.m. eating what was ever in the fridge. But I got through them. But uh, it was eye-opening and it was an excellent series that was put together. And uh, as you start looking through it, uh, the pictures... Of the church and and the spiritual applications just come pouring out, and as these men, it's it's a story of Easy Company in World War II, and it starts. um, They are an Air Force division or an uh, airmen division where they jump out of planes and then start right into battle, and they're specially trained. and It follows them throughout their journey, and you see these men that don't know each other go through training and go over and start to go through war together and I got to tell you it is a powerful powerful series Um, it's heartbreaking I I, there was times when I was uh, in tears watching these men uh, go through war and maybe you're uncomfortable watching because they it is it is awful it is hard to watch oftentimes and 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 maybe that's not the avenue you want to to research what war is perhaps maybe a a book about someone's testimony of some of the things that occur in war would be helpful to you. Um, But I feel like it's important for us to understand and uh, homework assignment, take the time to to look into what really is war. If we're saying we're at war, what kind of things happen on a battlefield? Just off my head, some of the things that happen on a battlefield is our our men are killed. Men are maimed. Men are uh, separated from from their unit and uh, left to die alone. Um, There is devastation and hurt and pain and tears and blood and sweat. It is an awful thing. And then I'm watching the movie and just thanking God. God, I'm thankful I'm not at war. And and yet if we're going to take God's calling for real, we need to acknowledge somewhere in here we need to, to make the conscious decision to acknowledge we are at war. Our war looks a little different. We are at war, and there needs to be an intensity in the way we live. This is what I meant earlier when I said i don't know how to um, put into a nice, easy sentence about what we're going to talk about today because boy we if we talked about the church, we could you know we could do a whole twenty message series on that couldn't we And so I got one uh, series of time here to to talk about these things. so when we talk about band of brothers. GAC church life is kind of the, the best way I, I could put it in together. But these are the things that we're talking about. Accountability, discipline, unity, spiritual gifts, spiritual health and growth, purposes of the church, sacrificial living, looking out for the interest of others. Acts 2.44 says this, All the believers were together, and had everything in common. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Within these verses um, is that where we get that they, uh, we read about how they took everything they had and they sold it. And they lived amongst each other and, and no one had need. And because of the radical way they lived together, because of the radical way they showed that they had everything in common. There were numbers added to them daily. What do they have in common? And really, I keep saying, they, what do we have in common with one another? The first and foremost thing, we, we come to church, we're not just a social group. We're not just a, hey, hi buddy. Hey, you like God? Let's talk about God. That'll be fun. Hey, let's sing, let's sing some songs. that would be nice too. That's not all that we're about. That, that is not what the church is. You see, it is deeper than that. We have something in common that is so profound and so rich that no one else has. Dave Glock, in his uh, Survey of Doctrine course, taught me some really neat lessons. And boy, he is outstanding. But God has really gifted him to take some of the complex ideas that we find in God's Word and make it so simple and so cool that a dummy like me can pick it up and and understand and be blessed by it. That is... (laughs) And that takes a lot of work. But he had a, um, a, a picture of the church and he had a, a, several like circles that were along a line at the bottom. And those circles represented people in our church. Let's, one of those circles is you today on that line. And then he had a, a bigger circle up here and that represented God. And he had arrows going in between the circles here And then he had arrows pointing up to God and then back down from God down to us in the church. And the concept was this, that those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus for salvation, for those of us that have said, Jesus, I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that I have nothing that can bring me back to God except You and the sacrifice of Your cross. For those of us that have placed that faith in Him, we have everything in common. Because all of a sudden, we as a church have a relationship with the God of the universe. You as an individual have a direct line with the One who made you, who made the stars, who spoke the world into existence. And that is an unbelievable thing. Something that I take for granted. Something that I don't think about often enough. And so when we say they had everything in common, well, it's not just where their personalities were alike. Because you look at this place, we have a lot of crazy personalities, and yet we have everything in common. Why? Because the most important thing that has ever been, we share. We share that. And so the church is a radical, radical idea from God Himself. It is an amazing picture. And it's supposed to be a picture, a representative to the world and to one another of who God is. It is supposed to be a snapshot of the character of God lived out in the lives of really flawed people. That is a huge responsibility. It's huge. What does a church look like in the middle of a war, because a church would look maybe you know one way if there was peace. You know, if if outside our walls, like right now, you know, there's there's no uh, danger of of being bombed or being invaded or or being tortured, caught and captured, and there's no war going out here, is there? So what would a church look like? In the midst of a brutal war. And we need to train our minds to think that, that that's what our church needs to look like. Because we are in the middle of a brutal spiritual war. And there are casualties every day. There's people that are getting maimed, there's people that are getting driven off, there's people that are getting lost and hurt and left. And we are in the midst of this. And you know what? Sometimes I go to work, I do my thing, I eat lunch, I come home, and you know what? The whole time I have forgotten that I am at war. And there is more going on that I can see with my eyes. So what does a church committed to being soldiers of Christ that understand that we are no longer our own, we have been bought with a price, look like in the middle of a massive war? This is the main quote from Band of Brothers. It comes from a Shakespeare play. It says this, We few, we happy few, we band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Now we talk, we already have we are already brothers and sisters because of what Jesus did. And yet this is an amazing concept that that as we war together, as we work together for the purposes of God as a church, well, we we become a tightly knit, a band of brothers, if you will. I thought that was a neat application. So I wanted to do this. For us to get an idea maybe of what, um, what it looks like for a church to survive in the middle of a war, I thought maybe we could take some lessons that we learned from Easy Company in the band of brothers, okay? And these are some lessons they have. I, I could do like 20 of these. There's just, there's just so much to go off of there. But uh, we'll do three to spare you because I can tell you're bored already. So let's, we'll move along. Lessons from Easy Company. March in unison together with one purpose. They start off the series in, in a training facility down south, and they are being taught how to march. And they keep saying march with pride. And and the purpose of, of marching is to learn for them to do everything as a unit. As one guy missed steps boy they they all ran. They all ran up the mountain, down the mountain. Because to march was a sign of unity that everyone is on the same page going to the same place with the same mindset. And the church that is in the middle of war needs to march in unison. 1 John 2, 12-14, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of His name. Let's take a moment and praise God on this. Let's read that again. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of His name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil One. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known Him who is from the beginning. and I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the Word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Here we see a message written to a body of believers that understood what it meant to be fighting a war together. We who have had our sins forgiven have been called into duty and we have to together, not as one, What happens when when one rogue soldier decides to go off on his own uh, or try to do it under his own strength or, or go apart? Boy, he dies. He doesn't survive. And everything that's set up in the tactics of war is set up as a unit. We move this way together. As a unit, we accomplish this together because we know on our own or even apart doing our own thing at the same time we die. And so if there was a way to take God's message, God's Word, and instill it in our lives and believe it and start acting it out in such a real way that we all actually lived out the truth of His Scriptures, that together we represented who God was in such a powerful way and a unified way, boy, we changed the world, wouldn't we? There was 12 guys that decided to do that. They followed this crazy teacher who kept saying radical things, kept healing people. And then he died right in front of them. And, and, and everything they had, everything they knew was taken away. <laughs> and then that guy raises from the dead and they realize this is not just some guy. This is the God of the universe. And they followed Him together with passion. And from it, God God gives His Holy Spirit and and the explosion of the church and and the truth of who God is and and the truth of His Son coming to earth to set the captives free is, is too good a news not to be spread around. And it gets spread and all of a sudden you see thousands and thousands of people understanding for the first time that they belong to God. And they have a relationship with God. That was 12 guys that were obedient. How many people do we have in this room? A hundred? What if a hundred people in this room decided to be obedient in this time of war to work together in unity for the purpose of God? Lesson number two from Band of Brothers. Easy company. Get to know each other in the foxholes. Let me read uh, a little quote um, about what it was like in the foxholes. Freezing their butts off by minus 25 degrees Celsius, German bullets flying around your head, stuck in the foxhole in the forest in Belgium, seeing your buddy get shot by the Jerrys. No supplies coming in. The men of Easy Company were at the front line during the Battle of the Bulge, and they held the line. And you watch as this, this men, this band of brothers that have learned to care for each other, that have really learned to lean on each other, hunker down in freezing conditions. And, and you just you think yourself, you just, again, you praise God that you're not there. And you see these men start to, to get to know each other because they're spending hours waiting in between these massive rounds of artillery that are coming through the woods. And they're sitting in these foxholes for hours Nothing to do but to communicate with each other, to get to know each other. And you start seeing these bonds being formed. Those bonds that we talked about how in war get accentuated, we see these amazing bonds start to form. And all of a sudden they know each other. And you know what? A lot of them were really quirky. A lot of them had really obnoxious personalities. You know what I mean? They were, they were really hard to get along with. But you know what? In the easy company in that time, they loved each other. They looked over those annoyances. They looked over those, those silly personality differences. You know why? Because they were at war. And the guy next to him who was really annoying had fought like crazy for the sake of his brother next to him. And there developed just this amazing uh, unity that I looked at and I said, man, I want to be a friend like that. I want, to, I want to know people on that level, that level of struggling against something together. There is something about struggling uh, against something, uh, insurmountable odds together. And just grabbing hands and saying, I don't know what's going to happen, we're going to do this together. There is something that happens in that moment that unites a group. And so the second lesson that we learn from Easy Company is we need to get to know one another in the foxholes. There is work to be done. And we're talking very general. This is not necessarily real practical yet, I'm sorry. But we're talking general. There is so much work for the name of God to be done that we need to come together and decide we're going to go do this together. We are going to do battle for the name of Jesus together. Comradery, the special relationship that exists between soldiers that have experienced the crucible of combat together. The special relationship that exists between soldiers that have experienced the crucible of combat together. Hebrews three twelve to 14 says this, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. There is so much that is going on right now that will hurt us. There are so many ideas and so many things in this world that will really, really hurt us. And in the same way that as one soldier goes out by themselves to try to do it alone and is killed, the same is true for you members of this church. Trying to do this life by ourselves, it doesn't work, does it? it, it we weren't designed to do it that way. I have so many friends that, even that I went to uh, Emmaus Bible College with, you know, we, we started as, as freshmen with this, uh, um, you know, how we're going to change the world for Jesus. We were excited and I I watch as, as more and more of my friends decide to turn away from God that we loved. I watch them make decisions that, that are perplexing to me as they, uh, they start to buy in to the lies that, that the world's telling them. Some of them go off the deep end and say, you know, I don't even believe in God anymore. And, and others... Um, just kind of in their lifestyle decide it's clear they're taking steps away. I was reading about a friend that I was close to in high school, and then in my first year of college that that said recently that that he and his wife decided that they no longer are going to be attending the institutional church that they are just focusing really on their their own little family unit and uh and they're you know they'll be accountable to God in in, in what he tells them as their little family unit to do you know and they're ministering to people in that way and and I just, It just hurt my heart. Um, because that's putting yourself out alone, isn't it? That's not God's best. And uh, there is too much going on and too many things that can hurt us for us to try to stand alone. We need each other. If you aren't invested in another person's life in this church, in the kind of uh, intense level that we're talking about, you're at risk. And we're all at risk. This world is too crazy and too full of, uh, full of sin not to be at risk. But if you are starting to, to separate from this body, if you find that you you are, are not invested in the way that you know God wants you to be invested, well, it will not be long before the lies of this world uh, start to sound really, really intriguing. And before we start talking about you as, oh, remember we love God together and now look, they've turned away. I'm not joking about that. I'm not making that up. It's the truth that there are so many ways in which we can be deceived and and, and brought away and and hurt uh, that we have to stay close together. I think you get the point. I'm rambling on. We need to care for one another. Um, I feel like I was really excited. We've been given lots of messages, and, and it's easy as, as you're getting ready for a message to be like, oh, I'm going to blast us on this one because we're all falling short on this one. This would be good, you know. Um, I want to encourage you with this one. Um, some of the most heart-wrenching parts of the, the series of Band of Brothers in War is watching the people that they were in the foxholes together all of a sudden watching those men either be maimed or killed, and you just see that 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 um, there are people that are in trouble, there are people that are hurting, there are people that need help. and the response is always the same at whatever cost, that soldier is not getting left behind. They're going to be cared for. And you watch as, as men risk their life to run across the the face of, of bullets and, and whatever artillery is coming. And they risk their lives to go grab a friend that's hurting. And they pick them up, they throw them up over their shoulders. And they run out of the battlefield at great peril to themselves, at great sacrifice of selves to care for a fallen brother. I want to tell you something. This church has experienced the hurt and pain through the years that is inevitable, isn't it? They're suffering in this world because of sin. And we've had wounds. And uh, you need to ask Mary Ellen and, and, and Scott what it's like to be wounded in this world and to be going through hardship. And we need to ask them, were you cared for? And then we need to talk to Pat as uh, as Pat lost her husband. And, you, and we need to, uh, to ask Pat, Pat, did you feel cared for? Um, there are lots of people that are struggling, that are hurting in this church, that have suffering. And uh I wanted to talk to you today as a personal testimony, uh, as a family that that has just recently been coming into sufferings. Um, We have been cared for. We have been carried. Um, God has provided a church that is serious about carrying the weight of its brothers and sisters. Um, Abby asked me, she wrote a letter... I'm sorry, let's read this first. Philippians 2, 4-5 says this, Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you today that I believe this church has taken seriously this call. And I have seen uh, amazing examples of people caring for one another and Abby and I have experienced it together. So Abby asked me to, to read you um, a letter, and I, I thought it was appropriate to say that it's a letter from a wounded soldier. Uh, my wife, um, for those of you that are visiting, has been struggling with, for five years, ulcerative uh, colitis. It um, was one that was uh, by an allergic reaction to a medicine, and it, it uh, flares up every once in a while and, and gets out of control and really stops life for us. And at this point... Um, has gotten so out of control that you know we have uh, no other. At this point, doesn't seem like we have other means except surgery. And, and she's been sick for about six weeks now, and um, we have surgery scheduled for next week. And we are struggling. We, the kids haven't had their mom for six weeks, and it's been hard. It's been hard. And I don't say this. I, honestly, I don't share all this because I don't. I don't want you to you know, just feel bad for me because there. I just want to be able to have a personal testimony today that there is hurt and pain in life and this church will hold you up. Abby wrote this and asked me to read this to you. She wrote this on Friday and she said, "Benji, I I can tell God's answering prayers cuz some of this doesn't even it's not where I am anymore. God has moved me past a lot of this and so uh thank you for your prayers." It says this, "Dear Gack family, I wanted to send a note to you all to tell you how much I appreciate all your prayers, meals, babysitting, and gifts, even brainstorming ideas to get me better, and above all, your love. You have all lived out Ephesians 4, 1-6. You have come together in unity and love to make the bride of Christ beautiful. I'm sure that the Lord is well pleased with that. Over the past six or seven weeks, I have felt a lot of despair and sadness. My brother one day encouraged me to pick some verses and we would memorize them together. I searched the Psalms and I felt my heart drawn to Psalm 143. It says, Benji, please read. So I'll read it. O Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me and my heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago and I meditate on all your works and I consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me. Or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Rescue me from my enemies, O Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. I loved these verses because they allowed me to be honest with God about my sadness and my frustration over being in bed every day with pain. And yet, David was still able to recognize who God is. While I still felt so down some days, God brought me a joy in who He is, even at the same time as my depression. And I could praise Him again. Towards the end of the psalm, David starts to see the light of the end of the tunnel and asks God to show him how to live next and to move on. And I know that there is an end in sight to my suffering too. So now I wanted to proclaim out loud to you that God is faithful Righteous, full of loving kindness, and he always hears us. And our suffering, his goodness is perfect. So bring on the suffering so that excuse me, so bring on the suffering so that the bride of Christ might be more beautiful. To God be all the glory, honor, and prayer. Forever and ever, amen, I love you all. God bless Abby., Whew. This one just got deleted from the website. I think this <laughs> we can, we just add it um, I thought it'd be cool to have a list ready of like every time someone at the church had come and offered to help or come and asked or come and offered to pray. Or uh, had brought a meal, or watched the kids, and I started. But I started realizing I'm I'm, I'm already forgetting people, you know. We have had uh, an immense amount of support from this body, and you guys recognized us as a family that was struggling, that couldn't do it on our own, and you stepped in. I'm real thankful, and you showed us who God was through your character. And you're a big reason that my wife in the middle of her suffering can say bring on the suffering because the bride of Christ is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I I appreciate that very much. Thankful for you. Um, I want to encourage us to to keep moving towards that and keep doing that for one another. It's so so important. Um, Poor Naomi. I don't know how many weeks ago... Was looking for a place to stay, and we said, "Sure, yeah, come stay with us. It's easy." And then Abby got sick about two weeks into it, and all of a sudden, Naomi is is Miss Nanny. At first, we you know made her eat in her room and not come out, but after we got to know her, we allowed her to walk around the house, and she started taking care of the kids, and and uh, and has just been um, God's blessing. And Naomi has has been at our church and there's a lot of students here that have been at our church now for a lot of years and, and you're leaving. And my prayer for you, I guess, is that you would have seen in this church at least an effort to be a picture of who God is to the world. And that as you leave here, you take some of the lessons that you learned, some of the ways in which we can really change the world through the love of God. And I pray that you'd bring that back home with you and that you'd invest in people there like you have here, and we appreciate it. Um, now you are enlisted. Your life is not your own, and you have a purpose. Revelation 3, 14-16 says this. I will end with this. I'm sorry. I guess we're not doing too bad. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold, and I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am going to spit you out of my mouth. These are some of the most intense words that we find in Scripture that talk about a church uh, that wasn't getting it. They had been distracted by the world around them. They had forgotten that they were at war. See, what happens in the middle of, of a battlefield, what would happen if you walked into the middle with with guns blazing and artillery everywhere, with people dying and suffering everywhere, people getting hurt and, and taken away and, and lied to and destroyed and taken away. What would happen if you came into the middle of that battlefield with indifference? What would you call it if, if you went into the middle of that battlefield and, and refused to believe or re, refused to acknowledge that there was even a war at all? What if, in the middle of a war that was raging for the eternal souls of people, we acted like it was no big deal? We have a chance as a church um, to be intentional, to stop and say, God, we are at war. There are too many people hurting. Your name needs to be pro- proclaimed. You need to be worshiped. You need to be honored. Even in this dark world, we have a job to do. We have to understand the seriousness of what's going on around us. We cannot be a church that ignores the fact that we are a church in the midst of a war. And we have to act with the grace and help of God. Let's pray. Father, this, it's not easy. It is not easy to be in this world. it can be so discouraging to, to look at some of the things going on in it. and I start, I, I start questioning sometimes when I see just the pain. I, I say, God, what are, you, what are you doing? And I acknowledge that that's not the, the right attitude and I, I love that you've brought me back from that and acknowledged to me that you're still in control and you're still good and you've already won. And yet, God, You've given us an opportunity in this short window, in this short life that we have here to make a difference for Your name. God, there are those even amongst our own body here that have not decided to follow You with their lives, that have not decided that You are who You said You are. And God, we need to love on those people. We need to take care of those people. We need to lift those people up. And we need to do it with urgency and intensity because time is short. God, there is a world of people that have been uh, tricked and duped into thinking that there is more important things than You. And You watch their lives and it's a series of devastation. And God, this church can be Your hands, it can be Your feet, going forward into a dark world and proclaiming that there is hope God, we can't do that if we're acting like there's not even a war going on. We can't do that if we are uh, indifferent about the fact of, of the craziness that is this life. We need Your perspective, God. We need Your heart. And we're thankful that the Spirit of You lives within us. And stronger is He that is in us than is in the world. We are already overcomers, God. God. You have already won the battle. We have confidence in You. And just like those 12 men that followed You closely and gave all, gave everything, because they knew that was the only way to truly find their life, God, I pray that our body would lay down our life, would pick up the cross and follow after You. I pray this in Your name. Amen.